You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Welcome to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, brought to you by Exodus Trail Cameras, the number one podcast for bow hunting product information and hunting stories from across the nation. And now... Here's your nine-fingered host, Dan Johnson. Happy Friday, everybody. I know it's been a short week, but I'm glad it's over. Hopefully, you guys are in the same boat. Hopefully, you got big whitetail plans this uh, weekend. If not, if you don't have any whitetail plans, get those brownie points because the season is almost here. I know uh, states like Kentucky... Uh, some of the Carolinas, I believe, uh, are already open. There's some guys laying down some big velvet bucks. I know uh, I have a couple friends personally who are out west, and uh, a couple have been successful chasing some mule deer and some elk. And uh, it's that time of year where we are starting to get the itch, especially with this cool weather. Now, there's a lot going on right now that we should be doing, shooting our bows, checking our gear, uh, just making sure that everything is uh, prepared and uh, so that that when the time comes for you guys to get in the timber, you're very efficient. Uh, you can load the truck, put the stand on your back, or if you already have your stands hung, walk to your stand and you're ready to go. Uh, so I always like to have a mental checklist that I kind of go through before I, I, I go on every hunt. And then another mental checklist that I do when I come back from every hunt so that my camo is not just wadded up in a ball or uh, I forgot to wash my clothes or um, my bow is, I don't know, out of tune or, or whatever the whatever it may be. You have a mental checklist that you kind of walk through uh, before and after every hunt uh, so you know you're ready for the next one. And uh, I used to be that guy who would take like 30 minutes to get ready for uh, an afternoon hunt. And now for me, it's typically like five minutes because I've put my stuff away. I'm organized. I know what I'm doing. It just takes longer for me to figure out what stand I want to hunt as opposed to getting the gear ready. Now, today, 
we are going to be talking with a gentleman named Casey Schutman. And uh, I met Casey when I was tracking one of my buddies. Uh, we have a mutual friend, Ben Harshine. You know him. He's the owner of Huntera Maps. And uh, I met him when we both helped Ben out uh, blood trail a deer once. And uh, I've had a couple conversations with him since then. We talked uh, in depth about certain things at the uh, ATA show this past year. And uh, so I felt he had a lot of knowledge to share about mature bucks, how to hunt them, how to, uh, I guess, uh, keep them on your property, uh, some of the characteristics of a mature buck, body language, how they act, uh, you know, how they move uh, in relationship to maybe deer from a different age class. So uh, we get into that today, and uh, I'm excited to share this information with you. This is a great podcast, especially for someone who this year might be wanting to step up to an older age class buck. And uh, Casey does an excellent job of uh, answering a question that I asked him about how to do that. So you're going to get a lot of awesome information about mature deer, how they live, what they do, all that good stuff. But before we get into today's podcast, and like I always do, the last couple times I've been ill-prepared for this, but let's see, wasp archery, wasp archery. This is the time of year, guys, where it is, you know, we we should have our gear in check. Uh, we uh, for me, I haven't started tuning my broadhead yet, but I have a while before I actually step in the timber to do that. That'll probably come in the next 15 days, to be honest. But uh, I'm going to be shooting a, a fixed blade from uh, Wasp this year called the Boss Float 4 Blade. I really like uh, those small fixed blades. Uh, I believe they fly fairly true uh, with little to no uh, adjustment uh, from a tuning standpoint. But uh, Wasp dude they have one of the hardest ferals in the game uh they have some uh, their blades are sharp and they're made in america right so just a well-built american-made product uh and i i definitely think you guys should go check it out and uh if you haven't got your broadheads already go get some wasp so you can visit wasparchery.com. And if you want to buy some wasp archery, some badass broadheads, uh, you can enter the discount code nine fingers. That's the number nine, followed by the word fingers, and you will receive 20% off of your purchase. Now, that's a that's a pretty good deal. I'm not going to lie. That's a good deal. And uh, so take advantage of that. Buy some wasp broadheads and uh, because it's time to start thinking about killing stuff. All right. Enough of that. Let's get into today's podcast where we talk about mature bucks with our good friend from, oh, I forgot to mention he has his own uh, kind of web show. It's an online show called Man Management Advantage, and uh, he'll talk a little bit about that as well, so be sure to check that out as well. So here we are again. I'm beating around the bush. Today's podcast, we're going to talk about mature bucks with Casey Schutman. All right, on the phone with me right now, Mr. Casey Schutman. How are you doing today, Casey? Doing good, Dan. How about yourself? I can't complain, man. I tell you what, the first time I met you, we were tracking a deer for Ben Harshine, a, a buck that he calls pork. We never uh, were right. able to, to recover that buck, but uh, 
that was the first time I met you, and we've had some cool conversations um, since then. And uh, I felt like uh, you would be an awesome guest to have on this podcast for a couple reasons. And uh, one of them is because you love big bucks, but not the reason that other people love big bucks. I would say you're you're fairly correct in that. <laughs> okay. So, and I want to start I want to start off right right with this. When someone hands guys like me and you, like we all love big antlers, right? That's something that's not going to go away. But when when someone shows us, "Hey man, check out this trail cam picture." Your eyes don't necessarily go to the rack. What do your eyes go to when somebody hands you a a picture of a big buck? I mean, it, and it happens a lot. Um, the first thing I like to look at is just, you know, the deer, the deer himself. Put your hands over his antlers um, and, and, and look at the maturity of the deer. And that's what gets me going. Um, you know, a, a three-year-old on our farm, we had one last year. Um, you could tell just by looking at him, he was just tiny, um, was not a dominant deer at all. Um, but he had close to 170 inches of antler on his head and he was impressive, but I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing him in a couple of years. Um, his body will be filled out a lot more. Um, he'll be a much smarter animal and, and, you know, he'll be a much more worthy opponent as far as the chess match goes. And, and hopefully, you know, by then he'll have a lot more inches angler on his head, but, but no, the overall, um, you know, looking at a deer, what really gets me going is seeing just a true mature animal. Um, if you look at some of the deer that I've killed in the last several years, none of them are real high scoring deer. Um, and probably not impressive to a lot of guys out there, but you know, it's not about the inches angler on his head. I know a lot of guys say that, but I mean, it's hard to explain, but when you're in a tree and you actually get to lay your eyes on a, a truly mature deer in his own environment and doing what he does, um, there's nothing else like it out there. Um, right. I love it. I absolutely love it. Right. And I think that go that's, that goes a long way when you say something like that, because there are a group of people out there who will never see, uh, let's say a mature, or I'm not even going to say, use, use the word mature. I'm going to say there's a group of people out there that will never see from the antler department, a Boone and Crockett deer, but there's also yeah. another group of people out there who will never see a, a mature deer. And that is something that to me is in a completely different category. Yeah, exactly. I mean, how you, heck, you talk about, you know, guys that are hunting public land um, and working their tails off. You know, a three-year-old deer may be a mature deer for that area, and that is a heck of a trophy, you know. Um, you know, I'm lucky enough to have a few farms where, you know, I, I have permission to, to hunt them solely. Um, and, you know, we we do see, you know, not quite a few, but um, we do have encounters with four, five, six, seven, eight-year-old deer usually every year and it's awesome i love it i don't i don't even know what else to say right Um, there's there's something different about a okay you know you let's say you're looking into a crp field right and all of a sudden a set of antlers pop up you're like holy shit that's a big that's a big antler (laughs) deer but 
But then something else happens when that deer starts getting closer or a deer starts getting closer and you can see it's just a slob from you, – you know it's like a 300-pound deer. And yeah. it's the head is huge on it, the big old gut, you know, sway back, yes. just looks like a pit bull walking through the oh, timber, yeah. slobbering. That right yep. there gets me going probably just as much as – Checking a trail camera and seeing a uh, seeing a, a a picture of a deer that's going to go Boone and Crockett just for antlers alone. Exactly, exactly. I mean, we I was fortunate enough last year to have two really good hunts and got them on video. Number one, and will probably always be um, our number one hit list buck of all time. Um, I know you've watched the video, um, Oscar, yep. um, that deer was an absolute legend on our farm. Uh, we knew him from when he was two, um, in 2011, no, 2010, he was two. Um, and we killed him last year as eight and a half year old. Um, without a doubt, we knew exactly how old he was. We followed the deer. We've got pictures. We've seen him. We saw him out of the combine probably 10 times. Um, we saw him out of the truck window and saw him while we were hunting and we finally got him in the right spot last year on november 12th and i was filming my brother and you're right i mean i'm sitting here looking out the window right now just reliving the hunt it gives me goosebumps thinking about it but that deer was he he actually had gone downhill just a little bit um as far as body wise he couldn't go downhill in the antler department he was never anything um I, i don't know exactly what was wrong with that deer but he was just you know, I hate to say a genetically inferior deer because he may not have been. He may, might have got sick when he was young and never could recover from it. You never know. Yeah. But he was just—he was a very distinguishable deer, and he had an attitude like no other deer that I've ever been able to hunt. And every time we saw, he was very visible. He was just extremely hard to kill. Um, he knew. It's almost like he knew us better than we knew him. Um, and, and we don't pressure the farm. That's another thing. We hunt it very lightly and try not to let him know that we're there. But he was just an incredible animal to watch. He was he was a very vocal deer too. Um, he was one of those deer that you know he'd walk around in the woods just like every other deer. But he would stop, you know, maybe you know put his head down and feed on acorns or be chasing a doe. But every time before he would go to move again, he would grunt like two or three times. Just every time and. Yeah. When you watch the raw footage, when I watch the raw footage, you know, it's hard to, you know, showcase it in the show. And I, I didn't just because it took, you know, two or three more minutes to edit and put that together. And yeah, it's something I didn't feel like we needed to show on there. But, yeah, it's, you can hear it in the raw video of him grunting every time. He, I mean, he just, the way he carried himself, or just, it blew my mind. Just It was just awesome right. to watch. And really a once-in-a-lifetime thing. I mean, we never scored the deer. He probably didn't score 80 inches. I don't know. I mean, maybe he did. I don't know. But he was a mainframe seven-pointer, and that was all, all he ever was. But just you want to talk about a deer that you just hardly ever get to see, you know, yeah. as far as how they act. And, and I mean, I got the video in for, it was 12 to 15 minutes before we killed him, and just being able to watch him in his own environment was something extremely special. I'll never forget it. Right. So I have a ton of questions I want to ask you about not only 
what you do with the properties that you hunt as far as land management is concerned, but just being around mature deer and being able to, you know, just observe them in their natural surroundings, look at them. I want to talk about an older age class of deer and all that stuff. But before we get into that, let's talk about what you do for a living. Okay. Uh, Um, What do you do for a living? My number one job and what keeps me busy year-round is I am the editor and producer of The Management Advantage. Um, I do all the video work, all the editing. We have a web show. Um, I have our own website, YouTube channel, and we produce a new show uh, based around land management. Um, it may be fish ponds one week. It may be white-tailed deer the next or turkey the next. You just never know. Um, but that's that's what keeps me going. I do that. Um like I said, every two weeks, and we, we'll we'll produce. You know, we're we're um, sponsored by QDMA. We'll do some QDMA videos, um, and we'll do some little product spotlights because you know our sponsors pay our bills, so we've got to be able to show their products as well. But that that's what um, that's what I do full time, and I also own um, a predator removal business called C2 Predator Removal. Um, we could, that's a whole another story. We can get into right. the trap inside of things probably never get off the phone but today let's talk about white white tail deer (laughs) yeah absolutely um so management advantage it's kind of exactly what it sounds like it talks about improving property for wildlife is that correct exactly Exactly. okay so what draws i mean because you're you're not just the editor in that but you're part of that right and producer so what draws you to habitat improvement what draws me to it yeah i don't I, it's just something because the hunting season only lasts you know so long and and i don't hunt as much as everybody thinks i do i mean i pick my days and try to you know do it right and keep pressure off the deer so you know that's a very limited amount of time that we get to spend in the woods and for me you know, going out and, and doing habitat work or planting food plots or w- doing whatever we're doing, it's something. It's it's almost it's, it's a hobby. Um, right. I just like I just like to do it. Um, me and my dad. I mean, our our family farm. You know that we go out there and and work on stuff, and, and it's just an, another way for us to have something to do together. Um, and be in the outdoors. It's it's what we love to do, and, and it gives us a chance to really get out there and have fun, learn the land, and, and also learn, you know, things about ourselves and, and and things about the deer. And it's just, it's a way to learn how to hunt without actually hunting in the off season, if, if that makes any sense at all. Absolutely. Um, and just the challenge of, the biggest thing for me is, so what we've done on our family farm is it was basically, you know, bare bones. It was a cattle farm, um, hardly any good wildlife habitat, no food plots, no cover. Um, we, we took that and manipulated the deer. Um, we can make them bed where we want them to bed, you know, not every time, but we can get a general idea. We can make them feed where we want them to feed. And just figuring out that whole process on the fly you know i'm not an expert on this i'm learning by trial and error and and listening to other people that are that are actually experts at it and along the way 
we've learned a lot of things and improved our place to where it is now. And let me tell you what, it's a heck of a difference whenever you start, whenever you put all the pieces of the puzzle together and we're far from being done. I mean, that's the good thing about it is you can't, you're never going to do it all in a year. If you do, you're, you're creating a job for yourself and, and you don't ever want it to feel like, like work, like right. an actual, like nine to five. You don't want that. You want to pick it, pick apart at it, step back from it, look at it, see what you did wrong and then go back in and try something else and get it. So it, it's a year to year process and it's something that it, it will never be done with it in my lifetime ever. Right. Um, there's always something new to try or new to do and, and we've got our, you know, our cornerstones, basically, I guess you would call them cornerstones, but your, you know, your, your overall objectives are, will never change, but there's little things that you can do that always tweak it just a little bit. Right. So it's like, it's like hunting itself, right? Every year brings something different, a different buck, a different strategy. So, yes. Yeah. So it's not like it's there is ever a planned end. It's just a con, it's always continuous improvement. Yeah, and it, it, there's always a there's always a different storyline or different different angle that you know because you would think you know like you look at Mark Jury or Lee Lukowski or any of them guys you think year after year they'd get bored of killing Boone and Crockett deer, but there's right. always a different angle on every little deer you know it's just that's what's cool about it nothing's ever really the same with it um it, it's always changing and it seems like every deer shows you something else that you didn't know that maybe you thought you knew at the time you know right um they can always they can always throw you for a loop it's pretty pretty cool process so I want to talk a little bit about this at, at a very high level because we could sit here and talk for days about what you've done to this this farm uh, to improve it for for whitetails. But uh-huh. you know, you, you mentioned it was just a bare bones cattle farm when you started. Yeah. What are some yeah. of the things that you've done that have had the largest impact, positive impact for? Habitat improvement for whitetails on on this piece of property. On this piece, uh, number one and two is food and cover. Um, during the right time of the year, um, you know. It's, okay, so I'll give you the layout. It's basically a square 170 acre farm. 100 of that is tillable acreage, acreage, and then there's probably about 40 acres of actual timber on it. Okay, so when we started, you know. And it's, and it's kind of an island. It's not. It's connected to a little bit of timber, but it's on the end. So it, it's not like it's a major travel corridor and, you know, you're right in the middle of all this stuff that's happening and you just get deer just because it's in the right spot. We're, we're really not in the right spot. We had to make those deer want to stay there. So yeah. when I talk about a cattle farm, you know, you know, so about 50 acres of it was pasture land where the deer were actually running through the timber or the the cows were actually running in the timber um eating a lot of the vegetation inside the timber and then it's you know of course fescue pasture around all the timber so when we sold the cows um immediately started implementing native warm season grasses as a as a great cover crop or not a cover crop but as a cover source for the deer 
um, basically to insulate the farm. Um, you know, went around every edge that I could, um, you know, 60 foot buffers here and there, and then creating, you know, one to two acre blocks of switch grass and then mixing it up with other kinds of native grasses and forbs, um, creating thick edges. And then as you reach out into the switch grass, kind of open it up just a little bit as far as not making it a really thick switch grass stand, but um, promoting other weeds and grasses within it to, to really hold the deer there, give them a place to bed, but also give them something to eat while they're in their cover. Right. So that was, when we talk about food, it's not always about food plots. Um, I mean, that right there, number one guy that taught me how to do that stuff is Eric Long, Drummond Law Wildlife Management. He is an expert when it comes to native, um, you know, basically food that equals cover within a farm. Yeah. Um, then also, you know, when I say cover and food, um, we also planted a bunch of food plots as well. Um, and, and that's the, the timing of the food, you know, hundred acres of our farm is tillable. So you think, well, we've got all the food in the world. Well, yeah, when September rolls around, all that gets yanked out. Um, right. yeah, there's going to be a bit of corn and beans laying on the, you know, laying on the ground, but it's not, it's not a consistent enough food source to last through the year so right. you know we've got basically three big food plots and we'll rotate them between corn soybeans and uh, i got some clover and then i'll also do some you know like radish and rye plots as well but making sure that that food is there during the season to be able to hold those deer there is number one key as far as you know getting the deer where you want them during that time of year right so I know they all kind of play hand in hand with each other, right? You know, like if you want deer to stay on your property, you got to have food and cover and water. Yeah. But is yep. for you, did you notice that maybe one trump to the other? Like when you brought food onto your property, did that bring more deer on your property as opposed to making uh, proper cover for them? I don't know for a 100% fact which one you know brought more deer because I did it at the same time you know if gotcha. I'd have done cover one year and then food the next you you might have been able to see a difference I, mm-hmm. I just think it's a combination of things um, you know you've, you've got to build them a home and you got to give them something to eat and we did that in the same year and they responded tremendously gotcha so you you give them a house to live in. You give them food to eat, right? So now they have they have a home, right? And so now you're creating you're creating a situation where now you you as a hunter have more control and you have the opportunity to select the deer that you're going to harvest. At what yeah. point did you guys decide, you know what, we are going to stop shooting, you know, two and three-year-olds or whatever it was, and, and or, or even four-year-olds, and say, we're not going to shoot a deer until it is reached its pinnacle, and that is a certain age? Well, <laughs> that's funny, a funny story, because I, I never really, from the time I started hunting, um, well, if you 
you go back to when I was a little kid and and I was sitting in a homemade wooden ladder deer stand with my dad. Um, he drove a, I think it was like a 91 or an 8, it was either an 89 or a 91 regular cab board. And the bumper sticker on the back of his truck said, let, let a young buck go so he can grow. That was, and that was kind of ingrained in my head. And so when I first started, you know, I first started uh, hunting when I was, uh, let's see, I don't even know how old it was, 96. Um, shotgun hunting with a smoothbore shotgun and rifle sights. And like the first eight deer that I killed, I shot those. I just, I never had the urge to shoot a year and a half old deer. I don't know why. Yeah. It was just, I guess it was just ingrained in my head, you know, way back then. Right. Um, it was kind of on the, on the, right up the verge of, of deer management. And, and I'm not, you know, dad wasn't a prophet by any means by putting that on his bumper sticker or on his truck and, or saying that, but it was just something that, that I did. And, you know, growing up, Dad, he shot some young bucks, too. I remember sitting between his legs whenever he shot some deer with his bow. And, but we were, hell, we were dirt floor poor, and that's what we ate while we were growing up was deer meat. But yeah. whenever I started hunting myself, I just, I never, never shot a deer that was young. The first buck that I actually killed um, was a five-and-a-half-year-old mainframe 10-pointer. I was sitting on the ground, and he walked up, and I shot him 40 yards. But, um as far as I'm trying to trying to answer your question, um, as far as, you know, if you're a guy that, you know, wants to, you know, navigate into the process of, of trying to, to harvest, you know, mature deer instead of shooting a year and a half or two and a half or even a three and a half year old deer. Um, it's just a, it's all part of, of learning, learning the game and, and, and bettering yourself. Um, you know, if you, if you're, if you shoot every two-year-old that walks by you, you're never going to kill another mature. You're never going to kill a mature deer. Um, right. It's all about just just trying to get better at what you do, and and it all goes back to like the land management stuff. You know, we're always trying to figure out different ways to make the property better for the deer. So, you know, if you're a guy that wants to try to shoot a mature deer, okay, let's let that deer walk. Right. And then. You know, you may you might have to go a year or two without not without shooting a deer, but whenever you get to that that spot where you're shooting mature deer, and I'm not saying that you know we've got huge farms. Every little every farm that I've got that I have is tiny, so you know we're not holding a, a, we're not able to hold these deer. And we, I'd be stupid if I thought that they all stayed on our farm all the time. You know they're going yeah. to the neighbors' places. So, but. Uh, I lost my train of thought right there, and that's okay right. because I, I I want yeah I want to I want to ask you, you know I, I hear this comment all the time when I ask guys questions they they say to me, mm-hmm. well, in my area a a two, a two or three year old deer is a mature deer. Well, I I see a problem with that statement. I see. A deer is not mature until it's mature. It doesn't like. Yeah. Being mature for your area doesn't mean shit. It just means that guys are killing more younger deer. A two-year-old yeah. is never yeah. going to be a mature deer. I don't care what state you're yeah. in. Yeah. So what's wrong yeah. with that statement? 
what's wrong with it is it's, it goes back to that old saying that daddy did it that way, so that's the way I'm going to do it. I guess that was um, – yeah. and I know people like that too. And yeah. sometimes you just can't get that through their head. You've almost got to you, – you've got to prove it to them firsthand that that, that – you know what I mean? Because yeah. um, if you go – say I had a 1,000 acres of property and I was shooting every two-year-old buck on the place. Well, you're, you're taking out that year class every year, and you're never going to have a mature deer. But yeah. if you start to manage and pass on those deer, and you get them to a five-year-old or even four-year-old or even a three-year-old, you can shoot every five-year-old on your piece of property. And next year, you're going to have another batch of five-year-olds that's coming up. Right. Absolutely. So yep. just slide your scale from a one-and-a-half or two-and-a-half up to a three or a four year old the first couple years shoot those deer and then better yourself just make it a baby step program you're never going to get a guy that is shooting one and two year old deer to just automatically switch over and and shoot five-year-olds right if you think you can do that or if you can do that please tell me how to make that work (laughs) there's several places (laughs) there's several places that i would love to be able to do that but it's it's one of those things you just can't force people to do you, you kind of got to baby step them into it and maybe show them firsthand that it works you know maybe you're a part of a club and right. you know you take a video camera with you and you video a two-year-old walk by you and then yeah. that guy kind of looks at you and maybe you gain a little respect with him you know maybe he probably won't tell you that right off the bat but right maybe the next time he's out hunting he'll say well casey passed up this two-year-old i might not want to shoot it because they might make fun of me or you know we're just trying to better ourselves, you know, right. in the club. And right. It's just a baby step process. Absolutely. Uh, now, don't get me wrong. If a guy wants to shoot a two-year-old, you know, go for it. Shoot a two-year-old. But there are there's a this group there's a group of people out there that piss me off almost as much as anybody, any other hunters piss me off. And it's the kind of guy that says, well. You know, if I don't shoot it, my neighbor's going to shoot it. Or if I don't shoot it, you know, I won't get a deer this year. Well, no, yeah. I don't like that fact because there's plenty of does in the woods that need to get shot all over the country. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, here, I'll, I'll ask you this question. When you decided to stop shooting immature deer and go for the higher age class, did you ever have to eat your tag or – get a little tr- a trigger itchy you know like oh my god this there's a, a big three-year-old walking by and i i want to shoot him so bad but you laid off of him because he wasn't old enough did you ever run into anything like that no um a, a three-year-old really doesn't trip my trigger mm-hmm. i mean no no pun intended they just i mean those are those are the type of deer that i look at and i'm like oh my gosh i wish i could tie him to a tree and let him get to five yeah. Um, just, just never, you know, every, every time I go to shoot a, shoot at a deer, whether it's a doe or a mature buck, you know, that's when my heart gets to racing. I mean, a, a doe gets me worked up just as much as a big buck whenever I know that I'm going to try to shoot that deer. Right. But whenever I have it in my head that I'm not going to shoot that deer, you know, I'll sit, I'm, I'm totally relaxed when I'm in the tree stand and I'll just sit there and, and enjoy the show and, and, and be happy that I'm getting to watch him as a three-year-old. And hopefully, you know, the following year we'll get to see him again. It's just, it's just one of those things that I just never, 
you, you've got to get it in your head that no matter what, you're not going to kill that deer. Right. And if it's January 1st and the season's winding down, what good is that going to do? Yeah. You know, you're going to, if, if at the beginning of the season you had your mind, you had him on the no-shoot list, and then on January 1st, because you hadn't killed another buck, you kill him, and then you go home, and it was probably kind of exciting there for a little bit, but then you got to be sitting there in the back of your head going, that gummit, Casey, why'd you do that? Yeah. You said you weren't going to do it. So right. basically set a goal and stick to it. You know? Right. Right. There, there's no reason to, to go away from it because, be, I mean, if it's January 1st or getting late in the season, there's probably a pretty good chance that you're going to make it. And that's when your management season starts over again and you get to start tweaking things and, you know, manipulating and setting your cameras again. And then July or August, when you get that first picture of him again, it's way more rewarding to see that deer the next year than it is to have his rack thrown in the corner of your garage on the floor and you never look at it again. Right. Absolutely. So now you've been, it sounds to me like you've been committed for a a very long time and it's been ingrained in your head from day one, almost that an immature deer, no matter how big its antlers are, it's, is not something you're looking for. Nope. I just, I, I like to kill big mature deer. Um, yeah. And I'm, when I say big, it's not necessarily because he's got big antlers on his head. I mean, I just I like to see a mature deer because they're just they're so much more of a worthy opponent. You know, you have on a food plot in the afternoon around here, and you know, you'll have two or three or four or five year and a half old bucks in it, and maybe a two year old steps out. But those, you know, those deer they just they they haven't caught on to the, the game yet, if you know what I mean. Um, yeah. You start looking at a you know, it seems like the, the switch really flips from a three to a four-year-old. Um, you know, the three-year-olds, that's the majority of what gets killed. You know, you look at, you know, 130, 140-inch deer, a lot of guys are killing those. You know, he's a lot of, a lot of three-year-old deer. But when they, when they go to that four-year-old age class, it's like their brain just totally goes through an overhaul. Yeah. And they're, they're a whole different animal. And then you get into five and six and seven, and then you're looking at maybe having one or two days out of a whole season that that deer will be up on his feet during daylight hours, and that's the chess game. That's that's the game that that is so hard but so rewarding when you figure it out and and know when that deer, you know, we all, I mean, I, and there's probably a little bit of luck involved in, in a lot of the deer that we kill, but I like to think that if you really are a student of the game and study things, uh, weather patterns, um, do your habitat manipulation and your, and your wildlife management and keep the stress off the farms and really try to figure it out. That's, that's where it pays off. Right. Right. I want to talk about characteristics of a mature buck. And I don't mean like what their body looks like. I want to talk about what their attitude looks like. And I know deer from sitting in in a a tree stand a lot throughout you know the last 10 years i've witnessed mature bucks and immature bucks and they all have different personalities just like humans do but i want to talk about some maybe some things that every mature buck kind of has 
uh, or something that you've uh, witnessed that, you know, once a buck hits maturity, it is going to do this or it's going to do this. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, well, one thing that every mature buck has is a sixth sense. Every, <laughs> you know, it just seems like, right. you know, something can go wrong at any minute. You can't explain it. And it's like they can feel your presence. Um, uh, one thing that I have noticed when you when you look at extremely mature deer, like say Oscar, or um, I killed another deer in 2014 out there at Grandpa's farm. We called him Grandpa. He was ten and a half. Yeah. But when you start looking at extremely mature, like seven, eight, nine, you know, and those deer have an attitude, like they are king, from what I've observed. And right. if you can get those deer in the right spot, um, like Oscar or like Grandpa, if you can get them in the right spot, when I say right spot, I mean, you know, you see them and you kind of be patient and let them get to where maybe they cannot get downwind of you. Mm-hmm. You don't leave at that deer, they turn inside out. Every, yeah. every, every super mature deer that I've ever had the opportunity to hunt, if I could get them in the right spot and snort leaves at them, they turned inside out and they come right to the tree. Right. Now, you know, you look at a, you know, two or three year old deer, you might snort leaves at him and he'll run the other direction. (laughs) (laughs) They they don't want anything to do with it because, and, and, you know, and it might be because you're in a spot where maybe you are hunting a a super mature deer and they might think it's him. Just snort leaves at him and like, whoa, I don't want anything to do with that deer. I don't want my ass kicked again. Yeah, that that's one thing that 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 I have noticed over the years um, when hunting a true mature deer. You know, when right. you get into that seven, eight, nine, ten year old age class, um, I sure hope that Ben can get pork oh, yeah. in the right spot and get a snorkel in on him because I guarantee you he's going to walk underneath that thing. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I I say this a lot, but there's a handful of stories that I'm following this year uh, as far as guys who have had encounters with, you know, bucks from previous years. And one of them is our buddy Ben and that buck pork, man. I hope he, I I want, I hope me and you are on a blood trail again later this year, uh, but walk up to, walk up to the deer, man. I can't wait. I'm about an hour and 10 minutes from Ben's farm. (laughs) And as soon as he calls me and says, I got an arrow in him, I'm coming. I don't yeah. care if it's November 10th and it's 8 o'clock in the morning. I'm going to get down and come <laughs> Absolutely. Right. Now, I want to talk yeah. to you a little bit about snort wheeze, the snort wheeze. Yep. I've had experiences just like you have where maybe you snort wheeze and a buck turns around and hauls ass the other way. That probably yep. means that either you suck at snort wheezing or that – there's another buck in the area that's more dominant than the deer that you think is the, in the dominant. And I had an, yeah. I had a, in 2012, I shot a buck, um, that I believe to be in the taxidermist said he was probably a six year old and mm-hmm. I grunted at him. He ignored it. I rattled. He ignored it. I kind of went, that's that, that tends to be my order of opera or used to be my order of operations as far as calling a deer. 
and mm-hmm. the buck just ignored those two things. And then he kind of walked away. He made a big loop, and he was he was sent checking this bedding area. And he was kind of working his way away from me again. And I let out a snort wheeze, and it stopped him right in his tracks. He looked over <laughs> in my area and ears back from about oh, 80 yards made his way directly to my tree stand where I ended up shooting him. But what yep. is it when you're in a, in a tree and it, it's time to call at a deer, especially a mature buck. What are you looking for as far as maybe their, their posture or their body language before you even make a call? Um, let me think here. I'm trying to think. Let me think here. Um, I'll tell you this. I'll tell you, I'll tell you that. No, that's, that's fine. I'll tell you this. So we've all been there where we've, if a, if a buck maybe gets spooked, right. And I've, I've done this before and it's on film, dude. I had a, probably 180 inch typical 12 walk coming right to me. And my Ozonics went out. I had I had deer running through in front of me all night long and this giant comes out. My Ozonics battery was dead from sitting in in that stand for almost all day. And yep. this was back this was like 2008 or 9. And that buck hit my wind and it was just like he froze up. I saw his body get, you know, tighten up. He be, he went full attention and he stops he turns around he starts to walk away so what does my dumbass do i crack the rattling antlers together right big (laughs) big time learning experience for me yeah that didn't yeah i mean if okay now i kind of got you i mean if a deer is alert um you know maybe he's already sniffed one tiny little molecule of you it's probably not the best time to call um you know put yourself in the deer stand Say it's November 5th and the deer is just cruising right on through. And um, especially, okay, so I'll put you in the scenario of like last year when we were sitting in the tree stand and we saw Oscar. He comes in straight down windows. That's, I first, we're in a thicket. He comes out, we've got a bunch of uh, Japanese hunting stuff on farm that I really need to get in there and get out of there. But when I first saw him, he was at 35 yards directly behind us straight downwind we had two ozonics running he had not a clue in the world so he's up on a high bank and he's on the same bank that we're, we're on a high little ridge and he's up there at the same level we are he drops down into the creek and he's in a little bottom and he's going away from us and i wanted him to get as far upwind as i could before i smell weed at him so at the same time it, it was almost like just like okay so he's going away from us and on this on up on the ridge with us on the high side a buck a little buck was chasing a doe and he could hear those deer up there but he couldn't see them and so that little buck chased that doe right underneath our stand and right back where oscar had came from and the whole time he's walking away he's stopping and he's listening and he can hear those deer up there and it was that classic 
you know, sound in the woods in the middle of November, a, a little, you know, a buck chasing a doe, just, just going through there. And he could hear that and he knew what was going on, but he couldn't get up there. He couldn't see it. But when he got to a certain point, he could get up on that ridge with us. When he got up on that ridge with us, I snort wheezed at him and lights just flipped because he knew that he heard a deer chasing a doe up there and he couldn't stand it and he walked directly to the tree so that's kind of what i'm talking what i'm talking about as far as you know letting that deer get in the right spot and kind of answering your question yeah as far as when when do you call to him i let that deer go from 35 yards behind us to about 120 yards in front of us yeah before i before i called to him but that whole time i'm videoing him and that's another good thing about videoing is you're you know, constantly zoomed in on a deer and you can read his body language. It's kind of like, you know, same way with turkey hunting. You can read a, what a gobbler's doing when he's out in the field. But as he was walking, he was listening. You could almost read his mind like, I know what's going on up there. I'm about to go kick somebody's ass. Yeah. Without even Jordan wheezing at him. He just knew that somebody was in his house chasing his ladies around. So yeah. when he got 120 yards straight up wind of us, he couldn't take it, and there was no way that he could get down window at that point. He was up on that high ridge with us. There's no way he could get back down in the creek and try to circle around. And that was a day that I'd waited on for the last six years <laughs> wow. to get him in that spot right there, and it just happened perfect. I hate to keep going back to that deer, but that's that was just once oh, in man. a lifetime that type deal. I go to I go back to a deer that turned. You know, I ended up not killing, but a buck I call shipwreck, man. I I I go back to that buck for like so many learning experiences: what to do, what not to do. Um, you know, how to put yourself in position to to you know chase mature deer. And it was that buck in particular that gave me an education on um, how how to hunt deer in general, but also how to hunt mature deer. And what oh, yeah. they what they like and what they you know what they like and what they dislike. Yeah, those they will definitely take you to school before before oh, yeah. you take them. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely, and yeah. it's almost it's almost embarrassing at times the way they can outsmart you, uh, and oh, and yeah. at the and then at at the same time, just like just like humans get so horned up and pissed off that they will make big ass mistakes just to bring oh, yeah. it out. Yeah. Yeah. They can't take it. So I want to, I want to continue down this mature, you know, characteristics of a mature buck. And one thing I've noticed is, you know, the window, the older they get, and like you've kind of mentioned the shorter, the window of exposure throughout the season that they, that they, uh, um, you know, they expose themselves, especially in daylight hours. Um, last year on one of my farms, the very first daylight picture of a mature buck that I got on trail camera was October 28th with like 10 minutes of daylight left in the, in the day. And, Uh and then there's that window of, however many days but the oldest most mature buck made daylight three i want to say three days he made uh he made daylight and that was only 
oh man, I want to say November seventh, eighth, and ninth on on a particular yep. trail camera, and then he disappeared again. Now, yep. because you get to observe not only mature bucks but the deer herd in general on on these farms that you you manage. Do you feel that as a as a deer gets older, it is breeding less does or more does throughout the season, throughout the rut? Uh, I don't. I hate to even make an assumption on it. I mean, conventional wisdom says that you know they probably breed less does. Um, you know, if you look at some studies that, that guys have done, they say you know a two or three year old deer will breed more more does than a six-year-old will so i i don't i don't know um i guess that's my only comment like force now that's all i gotta say about that i guess (laughs) (laughs) you know i i don't really start to read into that as much as a lot of people do i guess right um in the grand scheme of of things how important i mean how important is that when you when you're trying to kill one I, i don't know right um I know they're going to participate in the rut and you just kind of got to catch him on the right day. So I try to focus a little more on, you know, when is that day? Um, and and it's different. So getting, getting into that, um, every farm that we have is different. Um, every part of the country. And and when I say my farms that I'm hunting, they're five, 10, 15 miles apart. Every farm is different as far as, you know, the last several years in my observation, on when those deer are doing their thing. You know, I've got some that are, you know, six, seven, eight is prime time every year on that farm. Another farm, 10th through the 14th, prime time every year on that farm. And I don't know if that's just the individual does that are on those properties, that that's when they come into estrus, or, you know, how that correlates, but that's just another part of the learning, learning process, but being observant. Right. Not just scrolling through your trail cam pictures and deleting every one of them if it doesn't have a buck on it, but trying to, you know, analyze each and every little thing about those trail camera pictures and trying to figure out, you know, why those deer are doing what they're doing during that time of year or during that, you know, what time of day they're moving or when they're in a certain spot. You know what I mean? Right. Absolutely. Now, I've so, always kind of lived by the uh, motto if a buck shows up on trail camera in the middle of the night or it while it's dark out, it's almost like not having a trail cam picture of that buck at all because you can't, you can't hunt at night. Yeah. Have you, have you witnessed and maybe through, cause I know you run a lot of trail cameras as well, but when do these big mature bucks start to move? And I know it's different on every farm, but from a from a, a, a pre rut rut late October type time frame, have you have you seen any similarities of when the the oldest most mature bucks get off of their feet, get off of their gut and on their feet? Um, it depends on the year, um, to me and the weather patterns that you have. Um, I I firmly believe you can slip in and kill a deer any time of the season as long as you have the right weather pattern um and the right you know cold front that comes through um you know early season is a great time to kill a mature deer um they're still halfway on their summer pattern 
Um, they're living pretty close to that food, and you know, right now is a big time. Right now, there's a big shuffle going on. You know, if you if you run trail cameras in the summertime, and I've had mine out since you know into June or first of July, which is way too early, but I always put them out. All of our farms, you know, we get the same pictures of the same deer pretty much all summer, and then you get into this time frame and they start, you know bachelor group starts to bust up the velvet starts to come off and there's a big shuffle and we have a big turnover in our part of the world and i think it has to do with you know what kind of habitat we have and as far as where our farm is located um it seems like right between right now and the first october all the deer that we'll have to hunt october and november move in right now we hardly ever have deer in the summertime stay through the velvet and then stay on in the hard horn and on into the rut it's just a weird process but um it's like right now is when my scouting starts as far as um you know what deer i'm going to be able to target you know we've got several deer that that will be back from last year i had pictures of them in march carrying their antlers and i haven't got a picture of them yet yeah they're just they're, they're they're mia right now but going back to your question you know, early October is a great time to kill a deer. You know, we always rely on a cold front and a good food source. Um, crops are normally, you know, your soybeans are turning brown, they're turning off, so the deer are going to go away from them for a little bit. You know, I really like to hunt on a green food source early season, not rocket science, something that everybody talks about. Um, but looking for that right weather front and right pressure. Middle of October is good. Um, a lot of people like to talk about the lull, but if you're in the right spot and you can pick up on a deer and what he's doing that time of year, you can get lucky and slip in there and try to kill him. As far as, you know, late October, um, I killed Grandpa on October 31st, or October 30th, actually. Um, that was another one of those where I had trail cameras up. He showed up middle of October, and he started daylighting on October 22nd. And he was coming to that food plot. And he was just sent checking does. You can see him out there. And that's, he came out into the plot, was running does all over the place. And he got in the right spot. I snort weaved at him. And he turned inside out and I shot him 10 yards. Um, you get on into November. And like I said, it's, every farm is different. I try to target different ones on those different days. Um, you know, six, seven, eight, I may hunt a, a specific farm because i know those deer are going to be doing their thing on those three days just from a year to year deal that's just something that i picked up on and then you know another farm might be the 9th 10th 11th and another farm might be the 10th through the 14th and i just try to run my trail cameras at the right times um you know go in on i never run all my trail cameras on the same day when it gets in the season i'll try to you know be as sentry as possible and pick the right wind where I can get in and check a trail camera with the right wind so no deer know that I'm there. Um, and that's really important where I hunt. It may not be as important in other parts of the country, but where where, where I'm hunting and where I'm trying to kill these deer, they're, they're bedding in a very small spot. And if you go in there with the wrong wind, you blow them out. So you try to get in there, figure out what the deer are doing without them knowing you're there. You know, yeah. amateur stuff nothing it's not rocket science just use your head um and try to figure them out and right 
I'm not so, an expert at it by any means. I just try to use my head and, and get in there and kill a mature deer. Right, right. So I want to talk to you about, low, you know, you got some of these guys uh, and there's there's some of my listeners out there that hunt these very high-pressured public grounds that, you know, just get tromped on all year long, you know, from the day the season opens and even before until the very last day, there's pressure, pressure, pressure. Um, and the deer are still there. They're doing their thing, but they're just almost completely nocturnal. Now on a farm like yours, where you have, uh, on a farm like yours, where you have, um, you know, very low pressure, relatively low pressure, and you, but you're still very critical about going in on, let's say, certain winds to check trail cameras. If you do uh-huh. bump a deer, does that deer typically come back into the picture, or is it gone? It seems like okay. So, say I just threw caution to the wind and went in and checked the trail camera, and my wind was blowing into you know. A lot of my places are like a 20-acre block timber or a 10-acre block timber or cover. And I'm blowing all my scent down through there. And I haven't done that for the last three weeks. And those deer have been just kind of acting like deer and doing their thing, and they're kind of on a pattern. And I check that camera, and I'm getting pictures of them, and I'm like, heck, yeah, I'm going to go in there and kill a big deer. Those deer will change their patterns it's almost like even when you're hunting a spot okay so everybody always says the best chance to kill a big deer is your first time that's extremely true because even if you hunt a spot with the right wind there's going to be deer figure out that you were there and every time you go back it's going to get exponentially worse um so i i just think you know being extreme you can never be too careful when you're trying to approach a deer because they will figure out that you were there and you know they may come back but it might be you know hour after daylight or middle of the night or sometimes they'll just leave you know right. you just ne- you just never know um yep. of course you get into the rut and it's a whole different story i mean you got deer coming in and out and, and new deer showing up all the time um I mean, that's a whole nother story. We can get into that too. Yeah, for sure. Now, <laughs> you know, we, like, like I said, we could sit here and talk for hours and hours and hours about, you know, all these different uh, ins and outs of, of mature bucks. But I want to talk about how you put together a, a list. You know, you have, you have diff- different circumstances than others do um, where you have the ability to, you know, highly manage uh, pieces of property and basically pick and choose what deer that you want to go after. So I want to talk about what makes a deer, you know, what puts a deer on your hit list every year? Four years old or older. That's it. That's it? Um, yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't really look that far into it i think you, you kind of set a guideline with what you want to go with and then just kind of let things unfold uh if you look at my season last year i had i had by october 1st i had 19 deer that were four years or older on camera 
and this is spread out over five different farms. Right. I hadn't killed a deer until November 5th. And I go in on a spot. I was trying to, I had pictures of this one deer that was old enough to kill or that set my guidelines on this farm. It's a little 120 acre farm that's surrounded by public land, pressured extremely hard. Um, I'm literally hunting, and it's, it's a narrow 120. So I'm literally hunting 100 yards from public land all the way around. Um, I go in, had a game plan in my mind, show up, and the deer steps out 30 minutes after daylight. I've never had a trail cam picture of him. And the deer's not extremely high scoring. He was 135 inches. And as he comes out, you know, I'm sitting there going, wow, I don't, I don't know this deer, but he's, he's definitely mature. His tarsal glands are staying down his legs. He's thick body, full neck. And he was pushing does around, laying his ears back at other bucks. That's a mature deer. And at first I was like, I don't want to shoot him because I didn't know him. But then in the back of my head, I'm going, Casey, that's a mature deer. What are you doing? Let's get, let's do this. And so the deer comes up there, poses perfectly, does everything right. The second angle is beautiful. It's looking down the arrow. I shoot the deer and I was as excited as if that was a deer that I had five years of history with. Awesome. Um, he was a, he was either a four or five year old deer, um, you know, going by his teeth where he was, you know, 230 pounds, big deer. Um, he didn't score Like I said, he's only 135 inches, but the way he acted and the way he came out and and the way it all went down, it was just, it was, it's whatever guy dreams of when they're hunting. And, uh, so I don't, that really, I kind of got on a ramble right there, but, you know, as far as my, what I feel is a deer that I want to go after, it's real simple. Just four year old or better. Okay. Um, even if, even if there's a deer that is, let's say you have on, on a particular farm, which I'm assuming the, the way you're talking, you do, you know, you probably have multiple deer over four years old let's say five six and older right uh it depends on what farm it is um yeah some of them there's multiple deer that are five or six this this year will be probably the best year that i'll have as far as getting pictures of those mature deer on one farm specifically we had um six of them left last year that were four or better and they were alive in march and I don't have any pictures of them yet, but I haven't checked cameras in about a month. So, gotcha. gotcha. I'm, I'm probably going to do that tomorrow. <laughs> nice. But nice. Um, anyway, go ahead with your question. Uh, Four years? No, I was just curious if uh, um, you know if given certain circumstances, you know, you have let's say you have two or three bucks in that five, six, seven year old age range. Does your hit list then change based off of what you have available? Like, are you trying to kill the most mature deer, or is it, or am I just overboard with it? It's all. It's always going to be four years old or older. Yeah, I mean, I'm not gonna say I got five bucks on a piece of property, and one of them is a six year old that's going to go one seventy, but I've got four other bucks that are five year old, and they may go one thirty to one sixty or whatever. 
I'm not going to set my sights on one deer and let one of those other five-year-olds walk by me. I mean, gotcha. that goes everything. I mean, why would you? It's a mature, I mean, to me, anyway, you know, it's a mature deer. And I know there's guys out there that like to chase, you know, big antlers and, and want to kill the biggest deer they can, but you only get so many opportunities at a deer like that. And right. for me, you know, especially me, hunting small properties, you can't expect, you know, I'm not hunting a thousand acres, and I don't have the whole season to try to go and kill this one specific deer, and I don't have, you know, every little area that he might be in. I can't. I don't have access to every every little place. So, you know, that deer deer may be utilizing a place that I have access to hunt once or twice, and if he walks in front of me, you you've got to take advantage of. Him. I mean, yeah. what more can you ask for? You know, it's not like I'm hunting. It's not like I'm hunting that thousand acre block where I've got him figured out and, and I know everything about him. You know, I, I'm, I'm still only getting bits and pieces. You know, it's not like, yeah, I'm extremely lucky with what I have to hunt, but it's not like I'm Mark Curry yeah. and and going to have access to, you know, every angle of, of the farm and know exactly where he's going. And, you know, some of these deer may go a mile and live on somebody else's place. Yeah. And he comes back once in the rut, and I have a chance to kill him. You know, I'm going to take advantage of it just for the sheer fact that I know that I may not ever, you know, get the opportunity at, at, at a mature deer again. You know, you, you can only count on so many times during the season that you'll get to see that deer. So, yeah. or those, or those, you know, say out of those five deer, if one of them lost by you. Absolutely. So, absolutely. We have a two buck limit here in Illinois, and uh, I've only killed two bucks once in my life in a, in a season. Nice. Um, usually, usually if I get that one buck, it's, that's good enough for me. And, and I and I pull the reins back, and I'll go film my brother, or my dad, or my wife, or somebody else, and try to get them killing deer on film. So, right. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I tell you what, Casey, uh, I really appreciate you taking time out of your day to uh, hop on the show and uh, let me be the let me be the first to say good luck this upcoming season. Well, I appreciate it, Dan. Thanks for having me on. And uh, I guess I'll call again at the time, and we'll talk for two hours about it. I'll go off on Absolutely, absolutely. And there you have it. Hopefully everybody has a great weekend. Huge shout out to Casey for taking time out of his day and joining us on this podcast. Hopefully you guys learned a little bit about a something. Anyway, anything. Uh, I always enjoy talking with Casey. Hopefully you liked what he had to say. Huge shout out to all the partners of the podcast. Bighorn Outfitters, Lone Wolf Tree Stands, Exodus Trail Cameras, Ozonics, Gearhead Archery, Wasp Archery, Ripcord Archery, Deer Lab. Uh, be sure to check out those partners. Uh, they support me, so if you could please support them, I would really, really like it. Other than that, guys, check me out on Instagram. Check me out on Twitter. Check me out on Facebook. Be sure wherever you are listening to this podcast to hit the subscribe button and uh, get all of the kick-ass, badass podcasts that come down this RSS feed. And uh, 
Other than that, guys, be safe when you're out in the timber this year. And remember to wear your damn safety harness. Have a good weekend.